He loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say it, each one? Is it really for you? Thank God, yes. Now, a week ago, we were studying about the balm of Gilead from Jeremiah 22. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is the health of the daughter of my people not recovered? In other words, if there's a good doctor around with good medicine, why? Why are we sick? That's the Savior's question. Well, we studied some wonderful promises and wonderful assurances last week, and I'm sure we went home convinced that God is in the saving business ready to solve any problem. But tonight I want to go a bit further with this study. And I bring to you a very simple and very obvious fact, and that is that no matter how good a remedy is, the remedy and the patient must be brought in contact. The remedy and the patient must be brought in contact. The balm of Gilead must be applied or else it's all in vain that Jesus has provided it. No matter how little our problem, friends, we can't solve it without him. And no matter how great our problem, he has the answer. Tonight I want to bring you this precious truth, and that is that the balm of Gilead is none, nothing less than Christ himself. He is the branch that was put into the waters of Merah that healed those streams. He is the one that was with Israel there in the pillar of cloud and fire and through Moses told his people, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Christ, I repeat, is the balm of Gilead. He is the answer to every question, the solution to every problem, the remedy for every disease of body and mind and soul. But let us face this fact, my friend. All that is available for us only because he died upon the cross. As that tree by the waters of Merah must be cut down and cast into the waters, so Christ, must be stricken, wounded. He must be slain, that from him might flow the healing stream to take care of our sins, our sicknesses. Turn, please, to Zechariah, the 13th chapter. Zechariah, the 13th chapter, the first verse. In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of, Israel, house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. What is this fountain? Oh, this is the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Thank God, every problem that sin has made finds its answer in that stream of blessing that flows from the wounded hands and side of Jesus, our Lord. 
And now I repeat, dear Frey, the remedy and the patient must be brought together. The balm of Gilead must be applied. The blood must be sprinkled upon us. We must come in contact with the cross of Christ. And it is at the cross that we meet our Lord. Look at the preceding chapter, Zechariah, the 12th chapter and the 10th verse. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Someone says, well, I don't see very much healing in this. It looks like it's a rather painful time of sorrow. You doctors will agree with me when I say that sometimes a patient who is hurting has to be hurt worse in order to be healed. Is that right? I know what that is on the receiving end. One of the sad things today about this generation though it's not peculiar to this generation, there is an increasing desire to get rid of symptoms rather than deal with basic causes and basic problems. An increasing willingness to shoot the watchdog, cut the wires that sound the fire alarm, and go on doing the thing that makes the problem. And when Jesus calls us to Calvary, that we may be healed, he's calling us to the only place where we can become awakened to the thing that's making our problem and find the remedy for it. The problem, dear friends, is sin. That's the basic problem. We may look at our other problems, financial problems, home problems, health problems, worry problems, personnel problems, relationship problems. The basic problem is that little word, that big little word of three letters, S-I-N. And you know what's right in the middle of sin? What is it? You can all spell, can't you? And right in the middle of S-I-N is I. That's the problem. Now, God has a strategy that I want to study with you tonight. It's involved in getting real help for your problems, whatever your problems are. God's problem is to divert you from yourself. To divert you from yourself. Because you are in the middle of your problem. Don't forget it. If you don't know that, you haven't even understood your problem yet. And so God's strategy is to divert you from your problem. One of the best ways to get diverted from a problem is to look at a bigger problem. Did you ever have some kind of pain in your body and forget all about it when a harder pain, a bigger pain struck you in some other organ? And Jesus is seeking to call us from our little pains, our petty problems, to behold the great pain, the broken heart at Calvary.
That's what this text is talking about. He says, I'm going to pour my spirit upon you and you will look upon the one that you have pierced. Look upon the one that you have pierced. And then you will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And be in bitterness for him is one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Ah, oh, yes, friend. This is where help comes. In getting our mind diverted from our selfish desire to get what we want, even if it's something good, and get our whole souls filled with the vision of what sin our sin has done to Jesus. It is as if we were following up a stream through pasture and meadow, and then in the hills, and up into the mountains. And finally we come to the source in the great spring that issues from the cliff. What is it? Oh, friends, it is the cross the only stream of healing that's flowing in the plains of this world flows from Calvary. And as I look into those eyes of Jesus, as I watch the blood drops fall from his head, his hands, his feet, I say, is this really what it costs to provide healing? to provide solution to my problem? Did Jesus have to die? And is it my sin that made all this? Is that it? Tell me, friends, is that true? Is that it? Oh, yes. This is the atonement. This is God bringing man back to himself by coming to the cross and taking man's sin, his sickness, his sorrow, taking all his burdens, and the weight of it crushes his soul. It breaks his heart. Tell me, friends, if we could see it really, truly, literally, wouldn't our minds be diverted from our own petty problems? Wouldn't we begin to get sorry for him instead of just feeling so sorry for ourselves? The selfish human heart seeks to find somebody that will sympathize. Somebody says, oh yes, that's what I want, somebody to sympathize with. Oh, my friends, you need something far more than somebody to sympathize with you. You need somebody to point you to the one that you need to sympathize with. With your selfishness, your sin. You murdered the Son of God. And he's hanging there, bearing the sin of your life. That's it. That's what's happening. And why does he do it? Because he has to. Oh no, he doesn't have to. Why does he do it? Because he loves you. And oh, if you can only see it as it is, 
He'll take over you and your problems. He'll handle them. But he can never do it until the balm of Gilead is applied to the wound of your soul. He can never do it in a way that will just gratify your selfish desires that you found in prayer, the answer to what you want. There is a type of prayer that's being taught in the popular churches today that is heathen and pagan, my friends. How to win friends and influence people, the power of positive thinking and all that goes with that. It boils down to this. If you know how to play the religious game, you can come out a winner. My friends, I bring you no such message. I bring you to Calvary. I bring you to a painful experience of awakening to what your sin has done to Jesus. And if you will come and look, oh, friend, what happens to you will seem to be less and less important. And what happens to him will become all important in your life. This is the meaning of Calvary. This is why Jesus says, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Somebody says, Well, Brother Frisee, if this is true... How could a man ever get any, so, any relief from that sorrow? Why wouldn't he always be in pain and agony? Oh, friend, thank God. The reason Jesus is hanging there is to reveal to us the cost of sin so that we'll give it up to show us what sin our sin has done to him so we'll surrender it. And then we have the joy of knowing that we've brought relief to his stricken heart. We have the satisfaction of knowing that we are linked with him in solving the sin problem of this universe. And we go from the cross with joy, knowing that as ambassadors of our Savior's love, we too can point men to the cross and say, Be reconciled to God. We can bear the balm of Gilead. We can bring others to the cross that they too may find the healing. Of course, it's true. We need to come again and again. But thank God every time we come, it can be to surrender our sin anew, to receive a new awakening of the cost of it, to receive a new impression of how hateful sin and Satan are, and a new assurance of the forgiving love of Jesus Christ. Every day that can go, can grow and bring us closer to heart-to-heart -heart fellowship with him in total. This is his purpose. Now, in order that we may have this experience of total fellowship with Christ, He's given us some very simple things that make it possible. One is the study of his word. The Bible is 
the Word on paper. Christ is the Word in life, in action. And the Holy Spirit takes what we read in this book and through it brings Christ to our understanding, to our perception, to our reception. Aren't you thankful for this word, dear friend? Here is the balm of Gilead. Another channel that God has given us is prayer. Through his word, he talks to us. In prayer, we talk to him. But prayer is more than talking to God. Prayer is a two-way communion. As we kneel in prayer and talk with him, he puts into our minds thoughts, thoughts of conviction, thoughts of contrition, thoughts of comfort, blessed, precious assurances of his love. And remember, the whole purpose of it is to bring us close with Jesus through the study of his word and through prayer. A third way that he has given us a fellowship with him is linking arm in arm with him to go forth to serve. Christ was the ambassador of heaven to this world. And he is seeking to enlist every one of us to share with him in that ambassadorship. Have you received your appointment? Oh, thank God for the privilege. And there is nothing that can bring us in closer fellowship with Jesus than to just be working with Christ for the, those who need his help. The poor and needy, the rich and needy, those who are needy in body, in heart, in soul, in spirit. In volume 6 of the Testimonies, page 438, these three great channels are linked together in one brief sentence and are given to us as a prescription for all who are disheartened. Anybody here disheartened? Here's the prescription from the great physician. For all who are disheartened, there is but one remedy, faith, prayer, and work. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So, faith, as we read the word of God, prayer, and what was the third one? Work. All right. I'm going to read that again, then I want you to say it with me. For all who are disheartened, there is but one remedy, faith, prayer, and work altogether. For all who are disheartened, there is but one remedy, faith, prayer, and work. You know, when I was a student at Loma Linda over 50 years ago, it was the, it was the custom in those days for patients who had surgery to lie very still for a long time. Remember that, Dr. Coolidge? And don't do that way anymore, do they? What do the doctors say to patients now? Just as soon as you can, get out of bed and get moving. Is that right? I wonder why they did that. How they got hard-hearted and cruel, didn't they? Is that it? I know. They found by experience that these 600 muscles of the body are made for use. 
that even when a man has had surgery, the quicker he can get to using them, the better. Avoids, avoids blood clots and some other problems that the doctors can explain in case you need an explanation. My point is the great surgeon, Jesus Christ, as he operates upon your soul to take out the cancer of sin, wants you to get busy as soon as possible sharing with others the good news of his salvation. For all who are disheartened, there is but one remedy. What is it? Faith, prayer, and work. Why didn't it say three remedies? Well, the three are one, dear friends. If you think you can get the remedy by just praying, you've missed it. If you think you can get it by just studying, you've missed it. Or just serving. But faith in God's word, prayer, and then sharing in work for him. This is the three-part, three-phase, blended ministry which links you in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And remember, if you're in contact with him, he is the balm of Gilead. Oh, but Brother Fersey, somebody says... The trouble is, I've got so many problems myself, I don't see how I could take on anybody else's problem. Well, I'll show you something interesting over here in the book of Job, the last chapter of Job. I've wondered sometimes why there were so many chapters in Job. Just talking back and forth, Job's friends, quotes around the friends, as they prod him and spur him and spear him and he answers back. Finally, God, after he'd listened to all of them for a while, began to talk to Job and talk to his friends. But nearly to the very end of the book, in the 42nd chapter in the 10th verse, there is tucked away a little gem which tells me a great deal. You remember Job had lost all his possessions. He'd lost all his children. He became from a rich man, he became poor, and then he was afflicted with boils from head to foot and lay there in the ash heap, and then his friends came and criticized him, and found fault with him, and abused him. But now, Job 42.10. Will you read those first two lines with me? And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Isn't that wonderful? Job might have said, well, I need somebody to pray for me. But the friends that should have been praying for him were criticizing him instead. And the Lord finally got Job to the place where he started praying for those friends that were abusing him. And then God took over and fixed everything all right. And the rest of the verse says that when it got through, the Lord gave Job what? twice as much. Now, in the commentary on this, this is book three of the commentary, page 1141. Listen to this wonderful statement. It's just thrilling. The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed, not only for himself, but for those who were opposing him. When he felt earnestly desirous that the souls that had trespassed against him might be helped, he himself received help. 
Let us pray not only for ourselves, but for those who have hurt us and are continuing to hurt us. Pray, pray, especially in your mind. Give not the Lord rest, for his ears are open to hear sincere, importunate prayers when the soul is humbled before him. When I look at the date of that letter, 196, it tells me a great deal, friends. You're acquainted with the history of this church, 196. All right, friends. When did Job get help on his problem? When did he find healing for body, mind, and spirit? When he got his mind off of his own problem onto the problems of others. Do you see what I'm getting at tonight, dear friend? First of all, to get your mind on Jesus' problem as he hangs upon the cross, suffering for sin. Then, to link arms with him in fellowship, in prayer and in service, taking on the problems of others. Look at this in Ministry of Healing, page 256. Many invalids feel that everyone should give them sympathy and help. Well, you say, sure. You mean, with all my pain and misery, you're going to even take that away from me, this help and sympathy from everybody around? Oh, I haven't finished the sentence, but listen. Many invalids feel that everyone should give them sympathy and help when what they need is to have their attention turned away from themselves to think of and care for others. There it is, dear friend. That's what cured Job. Got him out of the ash heap, back into circulation. God answers prayer for those who place themselves in the channel of his blessing. While we offer prayer for these sorrowful ones, yes, we're not to be mean, like Job's friends were, you understand. We're to offer prayer for the sorrowful ones. We should encourage them to try to help those more needy than themselves. Oh, but somebody says, Brother Frizzee, I don't know anybody on this world more needy than I am. Well, I'll help you find somebody. Oh, I will. There's nobody within the sound of my voice that's in the position where everybody in this world is better off than you are. Oh, friends, around us is a needy world filled with weary so let's reach out and help them. What do you say? The darkness will be dispelled from their own hearts as they try to help others. As we seek to comfort others with the comfort wherewith we are comforted, the blessing comes back to us. Isn't that wonderful, friend? And then do you know what the next sentence tells? It gives us a prescription. Yes, that's the word that's used. You know Rx, prescription. That's the way I mark it in the margin of my book, Rx. You know what the prescription is? Isaiah 58. Turn to Isaiah 58. And then I'll read you what this says in Ministry of Healing, 256, about this chapter being a prescription. The 58th chapter of Isaiah is a prescription for maladies of the body and of the soul. Then it quotes some of it. 
and applies this lesson. Now you remember, if you're acquainted with this 58th of Isaiah, it starts out with some people that are moaning and groaning because they've been praying and didn't get any answers to their prayers. And Jesus said, if you'll allow me to just put it in plain modern English, he says, your trouble is you're thinking about yourself and not about others. So he says, if you want help, look in the seventh verse. Deal thy bread to the hungry, Bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. When you see the naked, cover him. And don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Now what will happen if you do that? Eighth verse, all together. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Isn't that wonderful, dear friend? So the 58th chapter of Isaiah is telling us how to get help, how to apply the balm of Gilead. In other words, friends, there's no way for you to get the help you need all by yourself so that forever afterward you and the Lord are just shut in together and let the rest of the world go by. No, no. God won't let you do that. It would make you so selfish that you could never be happy in heaven or even on this planet. God has purposely arranged this strategy that your mind, I repeat, must be diverted from yourself by looking first to him on the cross and then sharing with him in serving others. That's what medical missionary work is all about. God wants to involve us with him. Christian Service 151. Many are sad and discouraged, weak in faith and trust. Let them do something to help someone more needy than themselves, and they will grow strong in God's strength. Aren't you thankful for that, dear friend? Yes, praise the Lord. Now, I want to read you something from an old review. This is from the review of February 25, 1896. I have a photocopy of it right here. Why am I reading this? Because my subject tonight is that the way you get help from the balm of Gilead is to have it applied. The medicine and the patient must be brought together, and the medicine is Christ himself. So everything that will bring you closer to Christ is to help you get every human problem solved, my friend. Now I'm going to read you about some people that thought of a way that they could get closer to Christ. Some make long journeys to Jerusalem to see the place where Christ lived and taught. They listen to traditions and tales that men have invented. They spend money for that which is not bread. To expend time and labor in finding the places where Jesus worked in Jerusalem cannot bring any real benefit to soul or body. The money would better be expended in helping those who are perishing out of Christ. Human guides may point to this spot or that one as a place where Jesus made his abode. And travelers may cultivate feelings of awe and reverence in looking upon various localities, and yet they have no certain knowledge that Christ ever taught there or that his feet ever trod the soil. The steps of Jesus are certainly marked out in his word, 
go where they can be found today. Do not seek to go back to the land where Christ's feet trod ages ago. Many hold in reverence literal objects in Palestine while they neglect to behold Jesus as their advocate in the heaven of heavens. Where is Christ? I'm reading from this wonderful message. Where is Christ? We would see Jesus, not the places where he used to make his abode. Christ is the bread of life. He is in the heavens above. And as our high priest is offering up the incense of his own merit, we should earnestly inquire not in regard to old Jerusalem and concerning the fables that are repeated for truth, but we should turn our eyes to the living Savior, the loving Savior. Now, that was from the review of February 25, 1896. Now I'm going to read you from the Review and Herald of June 9, 1896. Listen carefully. Remember, we're studying how to get close to Jesus. He's the balm of Gilead. How many there are who feel that it would be a good thing to tread the soil of old Jerusalem and that their faith would be greatly strengthened by visiting the scenes of the Savior's life and death. Have you ever heard somebody describe the awe and reverence that came on them as they saw the room where Christ had the Last Supper with his disciples or visited some other spot? Listen what the prophet to the remnant says. How many there are who feel that it would be a good thing to tread the soil of old Jerusalem and that their faith would be greatly strengthened by visiting the scenes of the Savior's life and death. But old Jerusalem will never be a sacred place until it is cleansed by the refining fire of heaven. Do we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? We need not seek out the paths in Nazareth, Bethany, and Jerusalem. We shall find the footprints of Jesus by the sickbed, by the side of suffering humanity in the hovels of the poverty-stricken in distress. We may walk in these footsteps, comforting the suffering, speaking words of hope and comfort to the despondent. Doing as Jesus did when he was upon earth, we shall walk in his blessed steps. And friends, he's promised to be with us on that pilgrimage. I want to be with him, don't you? Yes. Oh, friends, aren't you thankful for such light from heaven? Thank God every one of us can walk with Jesus day by day. Now another one of these precious messages that Brother Wilson has written is about what I've just been reading to you. And I know you'll want to hear it.
to witness, just come forward and let your testimony confirm the message of the word. This has been the best week of my life. I, I just uh, can't tell you how wonderful it's been, but I'm going to <laughs> try. You know, the Lord's kept me awake at night this week, night after night. But I haven't uh, wasted the time. I find it so sweet to lie in bed at night and meditate on how good the Lord's been to me and pray about my life, you know, and ask the Lord to forgive me for the mistakes I've made and to cleanse me. And this week started out so good. We were studying slavery in American history, and I said, Lord, I need to talk to these boys and girls about something other than the slavery they think about when you study American history. Will you please help me? And so Monday, I talked to them about the slavery that we all are in when Satan has control of our lives, and they listened so carefully. And that evening when I was home, the telephone rang, 
and a young man in the class was on the line. And he said, I've been listening day after day to what you've been saying. He said, my wife and I have decided we want to go to the Adventist church. He's a young man that's been in the Navy and just back from the Navy. He, he's not an Adventist, and I thank the Lord for that. That was just the beginning. The whole week was like that. The Lord has inspired me to give a great controversy to each one of my fellow teachers, each one of the workers at the school, each secretary, and I've been taking them around individually these last few weeks. And the experience that I've had as I've given great controversy and talked to these folks, I tell you, it's been something like I've never had in my life because the Lord is opening hearts like I've never seen it before in my life. First, he's opened my heart, and then he's helped me to apply the balm of Gilead to these other hearts. And as we've prayed together, time after time, men and women, I've seen the tears come, the tears of repentance and the tears of determination to do what's right. And I must tell you this, today was the best of all. As I was in my class, my other American class this time, I had been praying, oh Lord, please have them ask me. Please don't ask me all the time to tell them. Please uh, have, have them ask me. And so when I got in class, uh, the first thing a lady did in the front row, she said to me, Dr. Bushnell, tell me why it was that God was not satisfied with Cain's offering. And I thank the Lord for that question because that was just what I wanted to talk to them about. <laughs> and I told her, girl, it's because Cain would not do what the Lord told him to do. And I said, he stands for a great group of people today who still won't do what the Lord tells them to do. And so we, we got to talking and, and they asked me questions from all sides. And finally, I can't tell you all about it, but finally one girl said, we had been talking about, they brought up 666 and I showed them that there was a young man, one of my teachers, one of my fellow teachers uh, yesterday called me to his office and he wanted to show me an a set of encyclopedias, Britannicas that he had. And I looked at it, said, what edition is it? And he told me. I said, you didn't get a complete set, did you? No, I didn't. I said, you'll never get a complete set of that one because that one tells exactly too many things about the Pope of Rome, and it's been taken out of all the public libraries, and out of most homes and everywhere, that has disappeared. And that gave me an opportunity to talk to him about this thing. And he was, he was fascinated. Well, this business came up in class today. So I put the Vicarius Filiae Dei on the board for them and showed them exactly where it was and what it was. And then the class ended like this. Dr. Bushnell, what is the mark of the beast? And I said, it's time to study American history. But I'll tell you on Monday. So you pray for me, will you?
because they are in earnest. Three times a day, I have a group of 30 and a group of 35 and a group of 45 to whom I have the opportunity to bring the news of Jesus coming and his love for us. And I tell you, dear folks, the Lord is helping. It's only the Lord. A, a lady came to my office today, and we prayed together. I gave her a copy of Great Controversy. And she, she said, Dr. Bushnell, you are beautiful. I said, I'm not beautiful. Only Jesus is beautiful. And if you can see Jesus in me, that's the beauty you're looking at. Well, I just had to share these things with you. They were so thrilling to me. Because with the help of God, I anticipate that there will be many, many, many souls among the teachers and the students of that school come into this truth because of the opportunity Jesus has given to me to witness there. Thank you, Michael. Tonight I'm very thankful for the love of God and I'm thankful that the it's by beholding him who is invisible that strength and vigor of soul are gained and that the powers of earth over mind and body are broken. I've often been encouraged in having to get up and speak before a group that the Lord says that he has someone in the uh, congregation that is waiting for that message. And it's even more wonderful when you're in the congregation and you realize that the message that was presented was for you. And as I prayed in the middle of this week that the Lord would give me just the thing I needed at just the right time, knowing my particular need, my particular situation at the moment. The Lord has answered that prayer tonight, and I hope that I can be of better service to Him. I'm glad that you brought out the part about the work. <laughs> I've had a lot of work to do lately, and I'm really thankful for it. I know I'm one of the kind of people that if I didn't have something to do for others, all I would do is think about myself. And it would just be I, I, I. But right. I'm so glad tonight that Jesus has given me lots of work to do. It draws me out of myself to help others. I appreciate it. Thank you, sister. Right on the point. Well, <clears throat> I felt like this message was for me tonight because uh, uh, I worry about a lot of things. And uh, I found myself praying for people that they may treat me better. But the thing was, I should have been praying that I could have helped them. That's it, brother. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, I've uh, been kind of sick. My blood pressure's been up. I've been riding around wondering what was wrong. And uh, I came riding around Wildwood <laughs> late at night by 4 o'clock in the morning trying to think. And I uh, went up on a mountain, and I got to the asking the Lord, I said, what, what do you want from it, you know? <laughs> and what he wanted was me. That's right. He wanted me to give up myself. And, Amen. Uh, I find that uh, I have to die a little bit every day. That's it. And uh, I thank a lot of people here, especially Mrs. Vital, and the kindness that she's shown me, and uh, a lot of more other people that I won't name. Thank you. I'm just really amazed at, at the changes the Lord has brought about in my life in just a short time. And it's encouraging to me to see the changes that are still going on. But I'm afraid I've, I've been too willing to just accept everything the Lord has given me. And I've learned tonight that I need to catch a greater vision of 
being able to take some of these blessings that have come to me and, and apply the balm to someone else. Triangle. And I just want to rededicate my life to the Lord tonight. My Jesus, I love Thee, I know Thou art mine, for Thee, O love of sin I resign, my gracious Redeemer, my Savior art Thou, if Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the great sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. As we look to Thee and as we meditate upon this infinite price that was paid for our souls, we recognize that, that Thou will be satisfied with nothing less than all of us. Thank God. And that we will be unsatisfied until we've given all. Yeah. Tonight, Lord, it's our choice to give all to Thee. Take us and use us as a great blessing to the world. May our light truly rise in obscurity. May we be a bright, shining light as we reveal Jesus. Now dismiss us with Thy blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.